In this week's first reading, Luke establishes the boundaries or the dimensions of the geography of discipleship in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Whatever it may be about, this is also a story about geography. To understand this from Luke's audience and their perspective, we have to talk about the area of Ethiopia and Moro, which is where the eunuch was from, in what is today the Sudan in Africa. Now in Luke's time, this territory just south of Egypt was an exotic place to those living in Jerusalem. The far-off land connected Central Africa with Egypt and major caravan routes, and all the strange and mysterious foods and people that traveled those paths. That's not to mention the people of Moreau who themselves were thought to be exotic. Kings of the land of Moreau, Ethiopia, were considered deities, and they had little to do with humans other than to be served by them. The queens, on the other hand, were the ones who were in charge. They were the powerful ones. They were called Candace. It's a title, much like Pharaoh. The queen mother is actually a more appropriate title. As for the people themselves, they were considered beautiful as they were strange. And they were also considered to be living at the end of the world. Sort of like Key West or Provincetown. In fact, Homer in the Odyssey refers to the Ethiopians as the farthermost of people. He says men will say people. They were at the edge of Oceanus, which was the edge of the world. And they also were people that were very much interested in religious practices. So this pilgrimage for the eunuch to Jerusalem to worship was an event. It wasn't that it was uncommon, but it was sort of like, hey, they're here. They're in the temple. Come take a look. They're back, these strange and mysterious people. Now, there's a lot of stories about the eunuch. Aside from many of them, the simple fact is that a eunuch was notable in himself. These were people who had high roles within the court of the royalty. They were respectable. They had power. It was almost as if it were a title for them as well. And in this narrative, for Luke's audience, the eunuch would be an interesting, exceptional and exotic, again, person who was connected to power and influence. So now the setting of the story is attached. You know a little bit about the geography. You know probably what you already knew about the land and the people. So the next exegetical question in this hermeneutical process, is it true? Is the story true? Did it occur as described, or is this one of the conversion narratives of the times repeated over and over again, showing the power of following the risen Jesus Christ? We don't know. 
Please remember, scriptures were never meant to be a historical document. They were meant to carry the message of the good news. The good news that is embodied in the risen Jesus. And that's what matters. And that is what is true in the deepest of senses. This conversion story is told and retold in alignment with an earlier portion in Acts, Acts 1, verse 8, when Jesus is described as appearing to the gathered disciples. And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come down on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Ethiopia, the end of the earth. That's the message. That's Luke's message. Part of it. That the universality and the unstoppable force of the good news reaches even the most exotic and distant lands. And of course, there is always more. Because it is also a story about how others, those foreign among us, maybe those in the gap, the gap, how they stretch us beyond ourselves, giving us the opportunity to be more than we are by ourselves, looking more deeply into what we believe, extending our lives and our faith more fully, more challengingly, into the world itself. And I think it is also a story about outside forces moving us, the voice we hear inside that calls us, that leads us. There's a story about that as well. Because in the story, Philip is not the initiator here. Who's the initiator? Who is listening? The angel of the Lord, right? Philip is used by the spirit and the eunuch to achieve what God has destined to be done. Philip was used by the spirit and the eunuch to achieve what God had destined to be done. It was the angel of God who noticed the eunuch struggling with the text of Isaiah in its chariot. It was the eunuch who, and who sent Philip to help him. It was the eunuch who invited Philip into the carriage. It was the eunuch who said, explain this to me. And it was the eunuch who said, look, there's water. Why not baptize me? And then, the eunuch having gone through an explanation of the scripture, the act of baptism, out of the confusion of what was before, goes on his way rejoicing, seemingly not the least bit concerned that Philip had just disappeared some 30 miles distance. No, nowhere in this narrative did the angel of God leave things alone? Nowhere in this narrative did Philip or the eunuch say, well, it is what it is. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. They'll get it or they won't get it. Instead, 
interaction and explanation in the presence of the Spirit created a new understanding, a new freedom, a new joyfulness to free the power and love through these actions of the risen Jesus. That's the message. Actions that unleashed a message so powerful that it was powerful enough to reach the ends of the world, the most exotic of peoples, and send them off rejoicing. You might have heard Philip say, you might have heard Philip say, people of Judea, it is not what it is. There is more. Listen. Listen to what you think the power of the risen Jesus does in the life of this exotic Gentile. Listen to what can be done with this power. And then think of what can happen in your own lives if you embrace this power of the risen Jesus. That's his message. It is not what it is. Luke's readers would have been in awe for many reasons, again. And like the different ways of seeing minding the gap from last week's conversation, I would like to suggest that this story and the gospel that follows John also invites us to think of our own colloquialism once more in the expression, it is what it is. Perhaps, perhaps that expression was first used as a shorthand expression for the acceptance of what cannot be changed, something like the serenity prayer. It is one of those things for me, though, that always has this sense of futility and fatality about it. It is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. Suck it up. Just get through it. Get over it. That's the way it is, period. Quit your moaning. It is what it is. The angel, eunuch, or Philip could each or all have said, well, it is what it is. Some will get it. Some won't. Some will be with us in eternal salvation, and some won't. That's what it is. And yet the Gospels, all the writings of these and other holy books you may follow are about the opposite of what we see, what we think we know, what we are limited to in our thinking and our beliefs and interactions with God in our lives. In many ways, these teachings are the antithesis of it is what it is and might be referred to as embodying it is what it is not. Things are not without hope, not without promise, not without grace, support, help, explanations, intervention of the Spirit through others, and opportunities to carry the message of hope and salvation and the risen Christ in our lives to all we know. We are not about the transactional, it is what it is, but about the interactional, this is what it can be. One is a dead end. The other is a broad, open highway in which we are inexorably part of the vine, not a dismembered anecdotal aphorism or slogan. Remember John's words in this morning's gospel. The next time someone raises their eyebrows, shrugs their shoulders, and says, it is what it is. Remember these words. If you abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The message of this great tradition of ours, this living faith that is filled with God's grace, love, and mystery is not about what it is, but all about more and what it can be. If we abide in the presence of God with one another, it is what it is, not. <laughs>